Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us for this hour, Adarsh Meshru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So keep that going. Turn it up. Uh, there's a guy named... Uh, Leland Sklar. Get his name confused with a guy named Larry Nectel. Leland Sklar. S. K-L-A-R. He, he does these almost three or four a week posts on YouTube about different albums he played on. Push that up a little bit. Now, this is one song he played on. It's a James Taylor uh, cover of a guy named Bobby Womack. We played some stuff by Bobby Womack on here before. Bobby Womack was very close to Sam Cooke. And, uh, but if you can hear that bass line a little bit on there, that's Leland Sklar. And of course, that's James Taylor on the vocals. I mean, he's just, and if, if you look at his YouTube uh, posts Leland Sklar you will see he's done 1200 of them he's worked with all kinds of people Wayne Newton Merle Haggard worked with Merle Haggard he's worked with Toto he's worked with Phil Collins it's not very many people he hadn't worked with phenomenal resume I've I didn't recognize the name when you mentioned him, but then I looked him up, and I have seen his videos, just big, long beard. Got a big, white beard. Yeah. And he's a great guy. He's a sweet, nice guy, you can tell. He's out there in L.A. right now, and he's trying to – he said he was trying to fly to New York, and it was going to be today, you know, and a lot of problems flying today. I hope he's okay. And he was talking about all the rain. I mean, this rain thing in L.A. is serious. It's, I don't know how much it's rained out there, but several inches. And they're not set up for that. Speaking of rain and difficulty, we have talked and we've had on this show before uh, a fellow named um, Gary LeBlanc. He started a group called Mercy Chefs. Not to be confused with Mercy Ships. This is Mercy Chefs. And they came to eastern Kentucky during the flooding last summer and served meals. They are coming back to eastern Kentucky at the request of Senator Rand Paul because 
due to all of the government red tape, the people have been unable to build back and get the permission and the permits. I mean, it's terrible, and it's the state and the federal government. And many of them are still living in campers. The very thing that's supposed to be helping them, which is the, the government, is, is actually hurting them. Uh, we're feeding. He's going to start feeding people again up there. Now, this is interesting because I ask my congressman this all the time. We've sent $200 billion in counting to Ukraine. And, and this might be something you might want to actually ask the congressman. Send him a letter. They know when people are asking. They get those letters. Uh, you could send him a letter or an email. Just It's on his website, Congressman Andrew Barr. But ask, what is the thinking in Washington in, in continuing to send all this money to the Ukraine when Eastern Kentucky people can't even have a place to live. People at the border can't even have uh, safety. And yet we think it's a priority. In fact, our, our Senator Mitch McConnell said is the number one priority in the U S to, to make sure that Ukraine border is respected. We don't even respect our own border. I think it's really interesting how these politicians are where they are for so long that they don't even get the irony of their own statements. Yeah. Doesn't even sink into them. So anyway, if you can help Mercy Chefs, it's mercychefs.com. You can go on their website, make a donation because the people in Eastern Kentucky have been unable to get their economy restarted because partly because they can't build back because government red tape is keeping them from doing it. Money's being sent out of this country to other places, not there. You know, I mean, it's amazing. A private organization has to go up there and help people to eat when the state and the feds who can print especially the feds print as much money as they want to can't get off their butts and, and help people. So it's amazing. Mercychefs.com. Uh, okay. You guys want to jump into this, uh, Ben Graham thing? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let a darsh. Yeah. Lead off on it. So, uh, this article is about, it, it's titled impatient investors need to remember the lessons of the dot-com bubble. And what it's talking about is, you know, we've, over the last year, we've been in a period where uh, we came off this huge uh, run-up uh, in growth stocks, primarily high-growth uh, tech stocks. Uh, many of these stocks peaked uh, about a year ago when the stock market peaked. And since then, uh, and these when I say these stocks, I mean stocks like Facebook, Amazon, uh, Netflix, Alphabet, Microsoft, you know, your well-known growth stocks. Uh, they had a very impressive run uh, over the last, really, decade. Uh, they peaked last year, and since then, many of them have fallen some 
like Facebook or Meta have dropped over 70%, 75%. But at, at their high point, if you were an early investor, you might up be, be up 15, 20 times from your yes. initial investment. Yes. So uh, I think the main message of this article is that there is a tendency, you know, after these big run-ups in some of these stocks and after these stocks have peaked and dropped there is a tendency of uh, people to think that these stocks are bargains again which in some cases they might be no one knows you know uh, what the future holds but investors rush into these stocks which were the leaders of the previous cycle uh, thinking, thinking that, they're going to go back. Yeah. Yes, that they're going to go back to their old-time highs and very quickly. Uh, but what we saw during the dot-com bubble is that stocks that peaked in the year 2000 in many cases took 13 or 14 years to go back to their previous highs. Many are still below their previous highs and many uh, really are no longer in existence. Uh, the flip side of that is that people also have a tendency to feel that once a stock or a sector has had a strong run over the last over a year or longer it's too late to get into those sectors um, and they wait for some of those stocks or sectors to pull back before getting in only to miss out uh, and we saw that also during uh, in the aftermath of the dot com bubble where your value stocks started outperforming financials industrials consumer staples and investors thought that, okay, it was too late. They saw, you know, your consumer staples go up 30, 40%. They, they felt it was too late to, to get into them or buy them. And they kept going back to the old leaders. Your leaders back in the year 2000 were Cisco, Microsoft, Intel. Only to realize a few la years later that, you know, the better stocks to be in were your value stocks. So uh, this article is trying to say that just because a stock or a sector which was a leader at one point has dropped significantly does not mean that that's going to be the best place to be in going forward. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, let's put a little, little, some context on there. So they, they've got the numbers um, from the year 2001 to 2005. So what you were talking about, Adarsh, um, thinking you'd missed out on the, the run in value. Uh, people who invested in the S&P Information Technology Index in 2001 through 2005 lost cumulative 29% uh, over those years versus the Russell 2000 value uh, was up 89% during those that same period. Gosh. And so even though they missed that first year, so to speak, you know, they thought, well, we missed it. And it, it, these, these trends that they, they typically are longer term, they're cyclical and you can have value outperform or growth outperform for a long period of time. Right. Well, it really gets into sponsorship and obviously it's always supply and demand. So more buyers and sellers, that's always what drives the price of anything, not just a stock, but anything out there. And they don't tell you when the leadership has changed. 
you sort of discover it in hindsight. Mm -hmm. But you start to see a firmness to the bid. That bid's always there. Somebody's always... Microsoft, Walmart, they were like that forever. There was that bid there. You know, just slightly pushing things up a little bit. We've seen that bid this year on uh, our pipeline stocks. Yeah. Seen it on Kinder. You know, it it fell, uh, had an earnings hiccup, uh, what was it, eight, nine weeks ago. Fell about six, seven percent in one day. And it came right back and went even higher. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, for the listeners, when you say bid for the non-investment listener, explain that just quickly. It's a bid. Somebody's willing to pay it. The bid's always there. And it's, it's on the floor of the stock exchange. Yeah, well, it's not. <laughs> the sort floor of, of the stock exchange of. now is, isn't is really so much where things happen. It's pretty much on screens but there's a bid there for that stock. It's not going to get beat up too bad. If it has a hiccup, it's probably going to come back. We've seen that in certain names this year. We've seen it on the mortgage rates coming back here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, from from uh, four or five months ago. Right. You know, we've seen them come back. There's been a, it's been a steady bid there. Uh, so William O'Neill, uh, who's, uh, I think he's passed away now, uh, he founded the Investors Business Daily. Uh, he came up with this concept of uh, relative strength, uh, which means that your leaders or your new leaders in a new cycle tend to display what's known as relative strength, which means that they tend to not only do better than the overall market, but they tend to do better than uh, relative to other stocks which are not leaders. So that I think that concept of bid comes into play there where leaders get that bid Um, It can only happen if there's not one or two or five buyers, but there's 50 buyers, there's 100 buyers, there's 200 buyers out there buying that name. These are the institutions which uh, are stepping in. And institutions, the reason why these trends tend to persist is because institutions, given the size and the pool of the capital that they manage, they cannot buy a stock all at once. So they keep buying, you know, at, at higher prices. And as they get new money, they allocate right. to it, right? that kind of thing. So I, I just, you know, what I like to do is is find something where the bid's gone away. <laughs> and But you, it's, it's maybe a good company, and then you could own it. And, you know, that doesn't happen every day. Sometimes we buy things that are already starting to go up, and they, they might keep going. Uh, every, every security has its own trading dynamic. Mm-hmm. That's how it trades. But if you're not really into trading and you want to own that security for a longer term, uh, play, you want to use that trading dynamic to your advantage to try to buy and position yourself in that security, whether it be a stock bond or anything else at a, at a, at a good price. Well, and the the other key point is trying to make is, you know, the the adage for the last at least five years, probably a little longer, has been buy the dip, buy the dip, because uh, we've been in a bull market, and hey, it drops ten percent, buy the dip, it's a good buy. 
there's a big difference between buying the dip and value investing uh, because absolutely if you would have bought the dip in 2022 on some of these things i mean <laughs> the the that dip's gotten a lot lower a lot deeper um you and, buy too much dip you'll have uh mouth cancer <laughs> <laughs> Touché. perfect yes uh so it's how people got that. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the, the biggest thing, you know, dip's gone up in price. too. <laughs> understand the business. Um, right. That's how you quote unquote value a company and then come to the conclusion. Is it a value? Uh, and then you, you look at the business and think, you know, where it's going in the future. And, and sometimes you can have a company that's fairly priced, meaning it's not quote unquote cheap on some metrics, but it could still be a value stock long term yeah. uh, because of what the, the, the prospects of the business is. Um, so buying the dip that worked for a number of years, things, things have changed. Um, and that's not something that's worked long term. You know, ultimately fundamentals come into play. And when you're buying the dip from an elevated price, you're asking for problems. Yeah. And, that's kind of gets into more trading. And if you think you're going to own something for a long time, in a sense, it doesn't a hundred percent matter what you pay for it. Yeah. Now it matters if you pay 60 rather than 30. Right. But when you're looking at buying it, you make your decision that you're going to buy it. You might buy it on a, you, you'd like to buy it on a down day, you know, save a little bit here, but you go ahead and buy the stock yeah. or the thing. And we don't buy stocks as trading to as trading, uh, chits, little, uh, you know, little, like little NFTs or something, yeah. you know, where we're just buying and selling them like uh, Pokemon cards. Uh, we're, uh, we're buying stocks as a as it, as it represents ownership in an underlying business that we basically agree with a business that we like so you know i think it's a very unique thing in human history i mean you think 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, you, you, you wanted to, you save some money. You want to buy, you couldn't buy a piece of a company. First of all, they didn't really have that many companies. Mm-hmm. So we've had in the last 200 years, certainly, uh, of human history, uh, a rise in not only the idea of the corporation, but the ability for the average person to invest part of their money and savings in a corporation. I mean, I think that sometimes people don't step back and take a look at this historically in terms of, you know, the, the, the opportunities that you have, you know, to create wealth. I mean, it, it's really truly a hallmark of the, the modern contemporary world that you can do that. Right. That's, that's true. It's, it's, Today it's completely, uh, you know, democratized, um, and uh, it is also inexpensive relative to just twenty yeah. or thirty years ago. Like you didn't back then, you had to pay such a hefty commission to yeah, even. It buy, was crazy, right? Three or four percent. 
just to buy a hundred shares of stock. Right. You buy a hundred shares of stock, you'd have about a $300 commission, you know, on a $10,000 trade. I mean, and now it's zero. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, let me tell you something, don't complain about, you know, the stock market's too hard to, da, da, da. it is so easy. And look what happened during COVID. Everybody figured out how to open a, an account with Robinhood, but that wasn't smart because they were chasing things that had no value. So if you do your research, you don't have to have us to do this. We just help people that really aren't good at it and aren't going to devote the time to it. And it always helps to have another set of eyes on your portfolio and make sure it's balanced correctly and you're where you need to be for where you are in your life too. So if you'd like us to take a look, give us a call, 859-233-0400. We will be back with more of the Tom Dupree Show in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us, Adar Shmashru, Mike Johnson, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So this is uh, another thing from Leland Sklar, and this is, believe it or not, Wayne Newton, Mr. Las Vegas. And, you know, he's had several albums, and he's kind of got a countryside to him. And uh, you need to go back and revisit Wayne Newton interesting guy he's 80 years old he's uh <laughs> i don't think he's as good a businessman as he is a uh, uh uh singer he got in some bad deals bought this big uh, auditorium with uh tony orlando from dawn you remember that uh yeah. tony orlando and dawn and dawn yeah was that like one other person or 
I think it was, I don't remember. I think it was three it's girls or three something. Other I don't remember. But, uh, anyway, but I think Don was joining he, he Tony. He got in a bad deal with Tony Orlando and Don, and uh, I think he had to go bankrupt. Uh, and he did, I think. And then he ended up, uh, now he, he, I think he's still playing in Vegas. You know, they used to say the guy was just made out of money. But anybody can screw up if you do things that are not so smart. And at 80 uh, years old, the fact that he's still playing in Vegas yeah, probably he's, he's tells still, you he needs a <laughs> little more padding to his retirement fund. Yeah, probably. And so, um, I don't know. It's just it's just kind of interesting. It's, uh, it's a guy that he's very durable. He's hung out for a long time. He's continued to play, and he, he's performed different kinds. You know, he's had several Christmas albums and stuff like that. And um, anyway, he, he's been around a long time. I thought you'd want to hear a little of this. Yeah, Tom's playing his transistor radio. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> no, let's not. Oh, Lord, it's so tense. Hold on. It's better. You don't even know me. I love you. Oh, my darling. Y'all, have you ever heard that song? I've heard yeah. that one. <laughs> not quite in that quality. Uh, anyway. but. <laughs> so... I hadn't I heard know. the first one, though. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed Wayne Newton on yeah, that one. Yeah, it was Wayne Newton. All right, so where do you guys want to go? All right, so this was a Mark Holbert uh, article. in this sort of in the same vein of the last one we were talking about. Uh, the, the title of this one is, No One Knows Which Stocks Will f- Fuel the Next Bull Market, But They Likely Won't Be the Bear Market's Winners. Now, yeah. so the this is kind of in – a little bit with the first one we did. Yeah. What this is looking at is what is looking at a particular sector in the bull market and a bear market. In the bull market, the sector was tech. Um, really, in the bear market, it was energy. Uh, energy, I think, was the best performing sector uh, in uh, 2022. Um, now, it, it was in a bull market. It was in a bull market. Where everything else bear. was in a bear. Exactly. And 2021 also. Yeah. yeah, two years in a row. But uh, in 2020, it was a horrible bear market for energy. Right, right. And one thing that Adarsh has pointed out is that it tends to go in roughly 12-year cycles. Mm-hmm. So if we're two years into an up cycle on energy, you know, the 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 chances are, you know, there might be more to come. So, right. I mean, based on that. The point of bringing this up is – to be careful of basing your investment portfolio on something like this, because what 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 when it, when I say the the bear market leader will lag in the next bull market, well, you're like, well, I don't want to own energy then. I don't want to own that if it's going to lag. That's not the point because it might not be the best performing sector, right? But you got to look at other factors. You know, a is it a, a good business to be yeah. in? 
you have to look at what your situation is because maybe the next best performing is going to be biotech or something. Well, how much risk are you taking with biotech or some other sector? Maybe it doesn't pay dividends. Maybe it, you know, you have to, all of it has to be taken in conjunction with your situation. Um, and so, you could still have a good performance from owning an energy company uh, this year. It might not be the best, or it could be the best. We don't know. And that's that's the whole point of this. We don't know what sector is going to outperform. But when you look at the business itself, the company itself, then you can kind of get your arms around it a little more. Right. And if we're looking for, and this is what, this has been intentional on our part. Um, we're looking for higher dividend paying companies currently. Um, and so energy companies, good balance sheets, they pay good dividends. I mean, that, that's an area that we are technically overweight in right now because we like the prospects. Um, and so you, you have to be careful reading articles like this and then jumping to a conclusion saying, I don't want to own this particular sector because it was the best performer last year. Right. What you're saying about a Darsh, you know, saying well, it could be a, you know, 10, 12 year cycle or what we were talking about in the first half, you know, owning something, being patient and owning something for a long period of time, not thinking, well, I've missed it because the price has gone up. Well, it has to, people can make money in investments at any place along the way in a, a bull market. I mean, you know, you, you have these people, uh, that invest at the seed stage yeah, and they invest in companies when they're worth very little and probably 90 to 95% of their investments end up worth zero. And so then they'll hit one or two that'll end up going several rounds and it'll they'll get a hundred times their money on that investment. But over time, the, the real return on that is about like a normal stock portfolio. You just, you have way more losers than winners and the winners win way more than the average thing. Then the thing will go public. And I remember Google came out, you know, years ago and people thought, well, okay, great. And you, you should have bought it right then. I mean, you know, cause it, it's, you know, probably up 30 times from what it originally came out at. The point is you can make money anywhere along the way mm -hmm. and people do. So it's, there's room for everybody. Yeah, that's right. And along the way there, you, you've got different people with different goals, different, there are different phases of life. They're looking for different things. And naturally <clears throat> with retirees or somebody getting ready to retire, generally you're looking for more mature businesses, right? Because remember sequence of return risk that plays a big part when you're throwing in a withdrawal rate. And so if you're trying to find, you know, you buy 10 startup companies, two of those do well, the rest go to zero Well, your sequence of return is going to be all over the map for right a decade, um, that doesn't work with somebody that's in that situation. If they're withdrawing, if they're withdrawing, exactly. Yeah. And so you, you, it's not just about the long-term average returns. It's about the sequence of those returns when you're throwing in that withdraw withdrawal rate. Right. I mean, I, 
I tell you, I started out as a bond guy. And when this is how much markets have changed in the 45 years I've been in the business. When, when I started out uh, in the business in 1978, you know, it was right before the biggest rise in interest rates in history. And by 81, 82, uh, people were scared of bonds because they dropped in price so much, but the yields became compelling. And for two decades after that, well, not two decades, but for quite a while, maybe a decade, people didn't really think about buying stocks very much. The stock market slowly was coming up, but it was more specific kinds of investors. Bonds got all the headlines because the interest rates were so high. I mean, you know, for, for several years in there, you could, or a few years at least, you could get tax-free bonds with over a 10% yield. Jeez. Think about it. 10% yield of maturity, you buy a 25-year bond or whatever, yielding 10% tax-free. I remember John Templeton, famous investor, famous value investor, was talking about uh, stocks and how cheap certain things in his portfolio were. Then he mentioned tax-free municipal bonds that were yielding over 10%. Warren Buffett, at one time, dissolved his partnership and advised people to go out and buy bonds, municipal bonds. These are guys, John Templeton's not around anymore. Warren Buffett, I'm sure, probably hasn't bought any bond he didn't have to buy, (laughs) you know, for the last 30 years. I mean, you know, they just haven't been he would never buy bonds for uh, his portfolio investment for, except for treasury bills, which is a type of bond. But for my first 10, 12 years in the business, people didn't think about buying stocks. It was all bonds. And then, uh, you know, about uh, 1987, I'd been in the business nine years. I'd never bought a stock. Mm-hmm. And I bought the Templeton Growth Fund. And then the big uh, October 19th came along and I'm down like 30% or maybe more. I just bought some more and then, you know, it came back. So I started buying the dip a long time ago. (laughs) So I I talked to somebody a couple of days ago and I don't know if the point, if I got the point across or not, but it was an interesting conversation. Uh, we're talking about bonds, the yields right now, and was he was the question was a general, can I take four percent from my from my portfolio, and the answer was well, I was that fellow at the seminar, yeah, right? yeah. and and the the answer was basically well, it depends, yeah, um, and we were talking and said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, it depends. Well, it, it depends on what you're invested in. And he said, well, if I can get a, a, a government bond that's paying 4.2%, somewhere around there, and and that covers my withdrawal rate, right? You know, I can buy, you know, lock that in for X number of years. And so, well, yes, but I said, well, what's the inflation rate right now? 
And you know, are you are you? I gonna, tried to explain that to him. He didn't. He, and, and, and you explained it first, and we talked again after. I don't think the the point. I could tell by looking in that guy's eyes, I, it was just going I don't in think one ear and out the other. Was, I was told I was impatient with that person and the other person. I was told that I was rude, but I don't know how to deal with uh, when you're telling somebody something and they really have it in their head another way and they don't really want to let go of what it is. The only thing I can say is, get the hell out of here. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I can't be nice to somebody like that. I'm told by people that I should be nice. And I don't think I'm doing them any favors by being nice to them. <laughs> I, I think well, I, th I think that uh, it's better to be rude because <laughs> maybe it'll wake them up and it's like don't be an idiot so you make know, sure well, and come visit us <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean I'm saying he really that for, is, he really for, is a nice guy uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of saying that for a fact okay I'm well just, it works it's a little bit on of me <laughs> But, but here, here's the thing. I, I don't think they just like, how do you wake them up? I mean, come on, man. You want to get the same 4%. Just go buy bonds. Don't even talk about withdrawing money from your. Golly, just buy the bonds. I don't think his question is unique for people right now, though, uh, because they're seeing rates that they haven't seen. <sighs> That's true. For a long time. And it's and hard to put it all in historical context. Exactly. Because. You know, you could get, you can't, first of all, the long-term rates are lower than 4%. Right. So you go out and buy a, a thing. It's just so small-minded. It's like, God, don't you get how you're being led into a trap with these short-term rates? And you can't tell them no. Well, because they, they're really attracted by the CD yeah, rate. Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. I mean, these are people that, they're not in the investment business. That's true. And they, they, they're they looking at what the yield is right now. And when they see, you know, say, say 4% yield, um, it's attractive. But, I mean, it's like the, the I-bonds six months ago. Oh, yeah. I was like, well, I can get 9% on an I-bond. Yeah. What are they now? Exactly. I don't know, but I know they're going lower. Oh, they got to be. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it's... It's not a unique question, and I, I think that's why it's worth talking about more and more because people, it's easy to lose perspective on where the rates are going. And to the to the point, too, okay, is it a bond fund or is it a bond? If it's a bond fund, you darn well better believe we saw what happened in 2022 that bond funds can go down in price. Right. There's no maturity date. Um, and if it's a bond, it's a fixed income. There's no inflation adjustment. Gonna, no inflation adjustment. And if, if you, I mean, I don't care which side of the spectrum you're on, we're going to have inflation to, to one degree or another. Uh, so as long as, you know, as long as we're not on the gold standard, we're going to have inflation. Right. Um, so you have to be in something that's not just matching the rate of inflation or your rate of withdrawal, much not even close to the rate of inflation. Um, and that's where you get into equities and the things that we're talking about. But I, I really, I think that a lot of people are having that same question right now because it's something they haven't seen for a long time and they yeah. don't have the benefit of perspective. That That's true. And, and I should probably be more patient 
But uh, I don't know if I'm going to get there. But uh, We'll just lock in a closet somewhere. It's a work in progress. Or the work has already been done. I'm not sure which. It's a closed door. <laughs> it is a closed door. And I don't feel like I'm helping them by being patient with them and say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, sooner or later you'll learn this or so. No. So, don't don't so, even think the way you're thinking. I so mean, if you come get in here out of your visit head. Us. Your, you your head and, is your problem. Yeah, if you come in and visit <laughs> and you hear and somebody bound, bang, banging on a door, you'll know I found a really strong lock. <laughs> no, I mean, all kidding aside. No, there, it was this not This is kidding. why we do what we do, though. Yeah, We're, we work on it. We look at it I every got raked day. over the coals. You were rude. <laughs> But not only her, but her. And, two, but two I, I asked her. So, oh, I would have walked out of the meeting. Oh, but you know stop. what? We Just need to have a few meetings that people walk out of because they're PO'd because they're being shown something that they hadn't thought about. It's okay to get upset. You have to examine your, you know, if that's part of dealing with your emotions and your preconceived ideas that are incomplete, they're not totally wrong they just don't give you the whole picture right and if you're not willing to learn the whole picture you're not going to learn you're going always going to be you know at the victim yeah. well in in our job and it's there's two obstacles to get over when we're talking to somebody is to a show them that it is an incomplete thought and then to show them the evidence that this is perspective and that's that's where we come into play. right it's you know it's hard. I mean, I, I do get impatient and I get impatient with myself. So don't worry about it, that. I'm just getting impatient with this person. So, I mean, you know, but it's investing is very hard. And if you think it's some kind of easy thing that you can do and just set this up and forget about it, you're wrong. Especially, uh, uh, in retirement or close to retirement. I think that's when it gets harder. Um, but typically, the way it works is when something seems attractive in the market, whether it be the stock market or the bond market, when it almost feels like a no-brainer, that's probably when it's not the time to, to be buying. I know. That, yeah. uh, just because... That is something I've learned. Right. Uh, that's the same for stocks. I mean, if you go back to the early 1980s, when bonds seemed attractive because short-term interest rates were as high as they were, uh, that's when stocks started the biggest bull market in history because no one wanted to own stocks. Right, everybody was into bonds, and right. really you would have, even through the 80s, all that money you spent on bonds for getting 10 12% or whatever you got, you'd, you'd have been better off buying stocks, right. and nobody was talking about stocks. Right. You always have to think because about Because they've the, pursued Long after those bonds have all been called or right. matured, they only were outstanding for, you know, a few years, right. many of them, and they're gone now, and you had to reinvest at lower rates. The stocks have continued to go up. So. All right. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Meshery. Mike Johnson and our host, Tom Dupree. We probably will set you up to meet with Mike if you want to come see us. <laughs> Eight five nine two three three. Yeah, but if you want the truth, you'll meet with me. <laughs> there you go, unfiltered. Eight five nine two three three zero four hundred. Stay tuned for the next hour. We'll be back in just a few minutes. <laughs>